0: Hello and welcome to season three of Family Twist, a podcast about DNA surprises, found family and amazing adoption stories. I'm Kendall Austin Stulz, and my partner is Corey Stulz. We've had fabulous guests during seasons one and two.
1: We're sharing stories of people who identify as NPEs, also called not parent expected others who found out they were donor conceived and have surprise siblings and even others with unique family twists. We started this podcast to spotlight Kendall's adoption story and his discovering both sides of his biological family in 2017 so if you're just finding the podcast we encourage you to start with episode one to learn more about Kendall's journey. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening again on another episode of Family Twist. Kendall and I are tickled pink for this episode because joining us is writer, director, performer Del Shores, and really the reason that Kendall and I are sitting here right now is because of Del and his play-turned-movie-turned-TV show-turned-movie sequel, Sorted Lives, which is a favorite of of many a folk. So I was in a local production in St. Louis of Sorted Lives, Kendall attended the cast party we met and pretty much the rest is history it's true so true. del thank you thank yeah. you the word twist is good you're a little twisted to
2: you know fall in love over sort <laughs> <certain> of <laughs> lives
1: but but
2: i'm glad to hear it i'm glad to hear that you're still together and on you must stay together because i don't want to get right. blamed absolutely yeah.
1: say so it was del shore's yeah. fault <laughs> well you know one of the reasons that we wanted to have you on of course was you know the fact that you're the reason that we're sitting here today doing this podcast, but also because you and Kendall have some similar background. Is growing up in the South, also growing up as strict Southern Baptists. So I'll let Kendall jump in from there because I was raised Catholic, and he gets on to me about complaining about going to a uh, one hour a week <laughs> church as yep. opposed to his you know Sundays, which were I don't know.
2: And Kendall, they were able just to talk to some priest and get forgiven. They they could just sin yes. and go to confession yeah. and we just had to live with guilt. Corey, my mother, who is the real Latrell, had so I always teach when I teach acting, I always give this as an example of how much you can do with an opinion against a word. And my mother would always, she had a real problem with Catholics. You know, we were so superior to Catholics. I don't know if that's the way you grew up, Kendall, but, you know, they worshipped idols. And, you know, they they weren't real Christians. And she would always go, oh, she's Catholic. That's the way, that's the opinion.
0: Bless her heart.
2: (laughs) She's going to hell. It's true. Uh, Exactly. Exactly.
1: Oh, um, what are your earliest memories of, of going to church, Del?
2: I don't have any memories without church.
1: It,
2: it was such a part of my childhood. The first thing that I remember about life was that we always went to church, you know, and it wasn't just <laughs> once a week like you, you Catholics. Uh, we had to go, you know, it, it was there's Sunday morning, Sunday night. There was Sunday school. There was training union. There was... You know, uh, Wednesday night was the Mm -hmm. prayer meeting, and that just went endless when one of those old people started praying and wouldn't stop. And uh, then there was visitation, and, you know, it was just, it was a lot. I have good memories of the church, though, quite honestly, Mm -hmm. because I loved Vacation Bible School. I loved, you know, Sunday school was fun. I I had a conversation recently with my brother and he said, you act like we had very different childhoods. And I said, we did because I had a secret and I heard the rhetoric that you heard, but I heard it differently. And you know, that's why I wrote Southern Baptist Sissies because we heard those sermons very differently. We had no shock. When
0: I think about what the ministers, our pastors, would say in the pulpit, I mean, you know, for me, there's no other word other than bullying. When <laughs> I, you know, what I mean. In in retrospect, it's shocking the things that you know, not yeah. only about Catholics, but right. you know, uh, about yeah. everybody. I mean, just others.
2: You know. Yeah, some guy was quoting scripture on Twitter. To me, and I said, I have picked the wrong fight, brother. Don't fight with a preacher's kid who knows the Bible as much yeah. as you, because I will fling those scriptures right back at you. And they always seem to forget that, you know, the complete Matthew seven, just start from scripture one. Judge not. Go all the way through to 15 and find out that you're a sheep in wolf's clothing and, you know, you come as ravenous wolves and as a false prophet. I mean, it's just endless how the judgment is continuing. And what's really sad is Mm -hmm. what's happening in our community again. I mean, we have such rhetoric from politicians of hatred towards the trans community, towards the. I mean, it's like okay, now yeah, let's I'm go after right. drag queens. I oh mean, yeah, what the fuck? Sure, <laughs> you know? Can I say fuck on here? Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> Good And that guy that I got in a a tiff with on Twitter, he was all mad because my friends, Chris Hamlin and Latrice Royale, who were married, were on the news. And, you know, their whole message is just let me entertain you and let's have some fun. And we're about love here. And then this guy was going groomers. And I'm like, "Right." right. First of all, you don't know them. So anyway, it's useless information to them and it's useless to argue. Someone asked me recently, they go, why do you continue to argue with these people? And I go, because it's fun. And I try to entertain you when I do. I mean, oh. so George Santos <laughs> blocked me this week on Twitter. That's kind of fun. <laughs> you know. I mean, like, congratulations is what I
0: have to say. Right. You know, it's like, it, it, and I think at some point people hope that we'll just be quiet and it's like, well, we're not going to. And so, you know, no. um, that's important too, I think, because when I think about young people who need to see people our age an older kind of standing up to these
2: idiots, <laughs> that's what needs to happen. You right. Know? Yeah. And what's again. kind of wonderful now also is that there's been such a surge of kids coming out younger and embracing who their authentic self is that we don't have to fight as hard because they are just right there. You know, they will smack. I mean, I don't mean smack in, in a violent way. I just mean with their words and they have that ability now. But it's, it's unfortunate that we thought, okay, 2015, we got gay marriage. Oh, we're fine.
1: And then, no, yeah. we're not. It's, no, uh, absolutely. It's yeah, it's, it's still scary. Absolutely mm-hmm. it is. We've been talking about that recently on the podcast. In fact, the episode that came out this week, you mentioned Latrice, but with, it's with another Drag Race alum, Tempest jour. And so, of course, as any good marketer does, I've been posting on social about it. And there were a couple of, not on my personal page, but on the podcast's Facebook page, a couple of smarmy comments. I'm like, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Come on.
2: But- yeah. We continue on. And I have always been fortunate enough not only to have a big mouth, but I have had a voice with my work that has been accepted by a lot of people. And sometimes I think that, uh, you know, I was talking about this yesterday in a meeting I was having. I said, sometimes we can change hearts and minds through our art and through the humor. I mean, I would think about the message That is under all of the crazy of Sorted Lives. But there is a strong message of love and acceptance and family that we're all family. I -hmm. I love that moment where Ty says, he's family mama in the
1: funeral. And there's just that moment of silence. Like, oh, yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: For sure. Well, you'd mentioned that Latrell from Sorted Lives is based on your mom and Ty Mm -hmm. is is somewhat Dell. Did your mother have an inkling when you were younger that you might be gay? I know that Kendall's adoptive parents, you know, they adopted him when he was a little baby. And I think they both had sort of an idea that might be a possibility. And then they were very cool about it. But then they didn't live to see him in a gay relationship. In fact, he married his high school sweetheart. A um,
0: female. Yep.
1: Right, right <laughs> after high school. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. anyway, sorry, back to the question. Did, did you think your mom had an inkling back when you were Yeah, dream? I know she did because... Like you, I,
2: I mean, I, I went a little further with it. I'm married. I have two daughters. And I don't regret all the damage that I had that got me to that because I love my kids so much. And I have such a beautiful relationship with the girls. But when I did come out, the, the girls were two and five when I came out and when Kelly and I, my ex-wife, and we're still friends. You know, I have a crazy life. Dr. Even, Wardell or my ex-in-laws. And I'm almost as close (laughs) to them now as I was to my parents, you know, in a lot of ways. But when I came out to my mom, I was working on this show called Ned and Stacy at the time. I don't know if y'all remember that, but it was uh, yep. it was Thomas yep. Hayden Church and Deborah Messing. And uh, I was around the writer's table one day, and I had been reading, it was Coming Out Day, which is October the 11th. And there was a big ad in Variety about Coming Out Day, and it was, he played Bulldog on Frasier. Why am I going up on his name? Because Dan, <laughs> isn't it Dan? Anyway, he had written a quote in this ad that said, if you are doing a job in Hollywood and closeted, you're basically saying to yourself and others that you cannot do your job and be gay. Now, I'd already come out to my immediate family, my ex-wife and my in-laws, but I hadn't come out to my parents. I hadn't come out to anybody in the, Dan Butler, in the writer's room. (laughs) That's the way I write. Dan Butler. Uh, it just hit me. So... Um... So I digested that, and then there was some, There were always like some comments that were borderline, maybe more than borderline homophobic, around that table in the sitcom mm. world. And someone said something, and I said, me too, because he was talking about somebody that he knew whose husband had come out as gay. And I said, that's why my marriage was also over. And he goes, what? And I go, yeah. So most of the writers suddenly had to take a phone call. And I was just <laughs> left there, and I thought, okay, and we talked heart to heart because he had said some things that now he were echoing in his mind and he lo- loved me as a human and it, so it was tough anyway so i thought i need to come out to my parents if you know this is it's time i talked to my therapist about it and she said start coming out to people one by one who will be okay with it and so the first person i called was leslie jordan and he just screamed, oh, my God, we're going to have so much fun. Yeah. And so I knew he would celebrate, you know? Yeah. So it was October 11th, and my parents' anniversary is October the 18th. And I was like, oh, I was going to write a letter. I was going to be like chicken shit, just going to write a letter. <laughs> and then I thought, it's, I don't know. I, I'm scared to mail it because the mail is slow sometimes. What if it arrives on their anniversary? That would be the worst anniversary <laughs> gift. You know, you don't give a gay son for a 40th anniversary. you know. So I, I mailed it on their anniversary because I thought that then, then I'll be safe. And, you know, I came in from shooting. It was a Friday night and I walked in the door and my phone, my landline was ringing and it was my mother and it was like one in the morning and she goes well I just can't sleep how are you and how's how's your week been and she I thought oh she didn't get the letter and she just continues to talk for like five ten minutes how the girls and everything and then there's this pause and she goes well we got your letter today and I'm like oh my god I said are you okay and she said honey I have been waiting for this your entire life so that's that's a very long answer to your question. Wow. So yeah, she said she knew all along, and I said, well, why didn't you help me? And she said, well, I didn't want you to be that way. So I think right. it's hard for parents, yeah. you know, they're wishing, you know, because we heard the rhetoric, and we was I mean, where are you from, Kendall? Where did you grow up? Blytheville, Arkansas, the very northeast corner, oh, right yeah. under the boot heel of Missouri. Yeah, Sarah <laughs> Huckabee Country. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, then, I mean, you know, it's not just the church, it's society. It's the boys at school. It's like, there's so much. And people say, well, why did it take you so long? And I said, because I did not want to be gay. I was told that it was the worst, most horrible thing that you could be. And I didn't want that. When people say, oh, you, you made this choice. I go, no, no, no. I made the, I made the other choice. I tried desperately not to be. It's amazing how much I love being gay now. You know, after you finally start loving yourself for who you
0: are. It's true. And, you know, I think back about my adoptive parents. My mother died when I was 10. So she and I had talked about the gay thing a little bit before she passed. But so most of my conversations were with my adoptive dad. And, you know, think about the timing. I started talking to him about that when I was 11, 12. And the AIDS epidemic had just started being yes. a thing. And for him, mm-hmm. he was terrified for me. He was hearing yeah. already about people that we knew that were being affected. And he was just mortified. I mean, not, I don't think about the gay thing, about, you know, he didn't want me to become ill. It was, yeah, it was a logical response, I think, for a pa- parent to have. And yeah, he didn't seem to care at all about the sexuality thing. He was just like, He was very, very concerned about safe sex. And so, you know, he would like throw condoms at me Mm -hmm. constantly, you know, I don't know what you're doing, but wrap that thing up. You know, he was very, and really when I think about it, being in this little. Well, that was
2: very progressive for Arkansas.
0: It really was. And I mean. And he was one of the senior deacons in our church, but he also had never been, you know, neither of them, even though they were just dyed in the wool, Southern Baptists, they weren't bigoted. They just weren't those people. For my little town, they were the most progressive people I knew.
2: Yeah. If you wish you had come out earlier, then you wouldn't have the kids and this and this and this. So you you can't. But I do wish that I'd known that my mom would have been so supportive. It would have been a very Mm -hmm. different thing for me because she was my first ally i talk about this sometimes in shows where it feels like a lot of southern parents and a lot of religious or fundamentalists they do research against us so they go and find six scriptures you know mostly in the old testament they've got that one over there in corinthians i think Mm -hmm. not the effeminate Mm Which, you know, if they go back and do the research, it's the temple whores. You know, it was the temple prostitutes. But my mother, when my mother died, I found, she had all these files. And I found a a file that basically said gay research. And she had one of those computers where you had to, when you printed it out, you had to tear the... What, what's so, her, like yeah. a dot matrix, I think they dot were called yeah. or something. And <laughs> yeah. So she had all of these papers in there where she had done all this research on my behalf. Hmm. And I often think about how she didn't try to prove me wrong. She tried to support and prove me right. Huh. You know, mm-hmm. um, Well, I, my dad, I of a- course, was a little different than that.
1: Hmm. Sure. Yeah, my father died before I came out, and I think he would have come around to it, but, I mean, you know, I definitely heard some comments when I was mm-hmm. younger, and, I mean, I wasn't the most effeminate kid, but, you know, I guess enough that, you know, he wanted to make sure his son wasn't, you know...
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, so, butch it up, butch it
1: up. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, I really didn't have that. I am pre- I feel pretty, you know, fortunate. Well, you're so manly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I probably was effeminate. They just didn't seem to care. They were just like, whatever. You know what I mean? I joked with my father as I got older. I was like, you never were a hippie, were you? I mean, he wasn't, but it's just, you know, I was always, you know, joking with him, like that he felt so progressive for where we were.
2: <laughs>
0: so it's kind of amazing. Actually, yeah. Right yeah. Well, now.
2: maybe he's a little more evolved than a lot of, of you know, yeah. especially yeah. My,
1: my kinfolk, as we <laughs> call it, the folk. <laughs> That's right. Does someone officially leave the Southern Baptist Church? How does that happen? Like Hmm. where? Well Well,
2: I left because when I came out here, I went to First Baptist of Beverly Hills, which is really West Hollywood. I just love the pretension. It's on the other side of Doheny on the West Hollywood side, but they named the church Beverly Hills and it's not in Beverly Hills. I was active in that church for a couple of years from the age of like 22 to 24. And then I left the church, not over being gay, I left the church originally because I was working with all these older Jewish folks at the daily news. I was doing telephone sales as an actor and I just fell in love with them. And I just thought, what God would send these people to hell? It was Mm -hmm. just so weird to me that, and uh, so that's where I started really questioning the church and their stance and how rigid they were. So that was sort of the first rebellion that I had. And then after I'd written Southern Baptisticies, after I'd written Started Lives, I get this invitation to come back to this reunion at First Baptist of Beverly Hills. And they said, as a member, and I thought, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm still a member of this church so I wrote them and I said, you may have missed it, <laughs> but <laughs> I am not exactly not an ally <laughs> of, of the First yeah. Baptist Church of Beverly Hills or any Baptist church. So would you please take me off of your role and please <laughs> write me back and confirm whether you have to vote on it in business meeting on Wednesday night. I need it done. And mm-hmm. they did. So then I did some article in the LA Times and I talked about that and they called the pastor and they were going, is oh. it true that Del Shores uh, removed himself from the role? Because I was like, in the role, it's called a yonder, I will not be there. Not with you. <laughs> yeah, when people say, oh, you're going to hell. And I go, good i don't want to go with these (laughs) assholes i don't want to go wherever they are Uh,
0: exactly
2: but honestly my brother left the southern baptist church recently it wasn't over Hmm. you know lgbt it was over trump and Mm -hmm. the the continued support that so many people and then it was finally when i don't know if you followed where all the molestation and the sexual assault was covered up by the baptist church and that was the final straw for him, which was mm-hmm. shocking to me because my brother was a Southern Baptist minister as well. Oh, wow! Big so, it, you know, they're down, they're down in attendance, y'all. Right, um, right. It's not as they needed you back
0: on the rolls, <laughs> <laughs>
1: they're, just- they're trying to artificially reach numbers, up. Yes. right? Yes. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, it's a good question, though, Corey, because usually it's called transferring your letter is what it's called in the the Southern Baptist Church, where if you move churches, you know, for the new church to accept you, you have to, quote, transfer your letter. And it used to be, I don't know what it is, probably digital now. When I was still involved um, 100 years ago, it was a physical thing. Like I had to request when I walked down the aisle. yeah, oh yeah, and when I went to grad school, I switched to an, a new Baptist church, and I went down the aisle and said, "I'd like to join." And yeah, oh well, we've got to contact your old church and get your letter. I'm like, who from Bert yeah. and Ernie? Like, what? Who? What <laughs> is that? You know, whatever. I was like, okay, yeah. you know, and you're right. Dell's right. When I officially could take no more, I had to write them and say, I don't know what your process is. Do you burn the letter? What do you make a paper airplane? I don't know what it is, but please get rid of it.
2: (laughs) Just wad it up and throw it in the trash. Yeah, Uh exactly. (laughs) Yeah. We're were those that fell by the wayside. Gladly. I mean,
1: (laughs) I think of a lot of organized religion has some cult-like aspects to it, but yeah. yeah. The more you tell me about the Southern Baptist Church, yeah.
0: I, I can only judge what few I went to. Right. But when I think in retrospect, I, I just my poor parents must have just been desperate for a social outlet to have gone there. You know, I yeah. just think because I know. Well, that was that and Yeah. They didn't believe everything
2: yeah right but that that was a big aspect of it right i mean in the south was the social aspect it became such a community And uh, I remember, you know, Matt Hayes, who, by the way, uh, Matt Hayes is one of my associates that I work with. It's Matt Hayes and Emerson Collins, that's my team. But Matt wrote a beautiful short film called Cognitive, which touches on what you were talking about your dad with AIDS and cognitive. I actually played the homophobic pastor in it, and it won many, many film festivals and audience awards. It's about this little boy who knows in his heart that he's gay. And the preacher says that AIDS is a punishment for gays and he thinks he has AIDS. So he doesn't think he's ever going to make it to adult. And that's what Matt lives through. And he was talking about how, when he found out in in the movie, this nurse says, no, that's not true. You're going to grow up and you're going to do wonderful things. And it was like, this nurse gave him this beautiful gift. But Matt said, when he got older, it was his departure from the church. It was not, I'm going to miss Jesus. I'm going to miss this. I'm going to miss the community, you know? And so I I like that word sanctuary because when I wrote Southern Baptist Sissies, I had Benny actually say in the movie, I don't think it was in the play, but this is now my sanctuary. Mm -hmm. And I love that how, you know, we as LGBTQ plus we have to create our own, a lot of Gays go and find an affirming church. It, that's not my mm-hmm. belief system. You know, I mm-hmm. good for them. Th- good for them if they right. need that. If they want that. If that feels good. And I think a lot of it is about community. For me, I just would feel like a hypocrite myself. Right.
1: I think it's important to note that even though you're well known for your your plays and movies that talk about the Southern Baptist experience, they're not all out bashing the church. You know you definitely look at things from everybody's point of view And i think you give everybody a fair voice i try you know i teach
2: writing now and i was talking about how as writers if we can write with no judgment to the characters because if you start judging the characters you start hearing the writer's voice i mean you hear the preaching that's outside of the character So when I create a character like the pastor in Southern Baptist or TJ in Southern Baptist I have to not judge them. I have to believe as the creator of them that they believe the truth that they are spewing, so to speak, that that is their truth. And I never wanted my dad was a wonderful man. My dad was a a beautiful human being and a kind hearted person. And I never wanted when I wrote the pastor in Southern Baptist I wanted him to be a good pastor but then I wanted him to stand in that pulpit and say those vile words that we hear and they are embedded in us (laughs) creating the damage.
1: I I want to touch on something you mentioned a little bit earlier. You're very close with your former in-laws, Newell and and Rosemary, but was that always the case? Was there a little bit of drama when you and your wife got divorced?
2: No, there wasn't. at all with them, they were amazing. And Rosemary had already created Evelita on stage in Daddy Stein, Who's Got the Will, the way I met Newell and Rosemary, and I'd seen them in a play called That Other Woman's Child. And when I wrote my first play, Cheatin', I thought, oh, that guy, that he would be great for the narrator. And so that was Newell. So when I came out to them, Newell said, just take care of this family and always love your kids. And I said, that's not going to be a problem. And so I kept that promise to him. You know, it's not always been amazing with my ex, but we're in a really good place now. I consider her a friend and she's the mother of my kids. It's all, Mm -hmm. so now it's all good. Yeah,
1: that's great. That's great. Yeah,
0: I have a really good relationship with my ex-wife, my granted, We didn't have any children together, but we are from that very same small town. And so, you know when I think about all the opportunities she and her family had to bash me, they never took them. They, they really never took those right. opportunities. They were very kind, um, as understanding probably as they could have been. And that means so much to me, you know, not because I hang out in my hometown, but you know, it's just nice to have your sort of rep- reputation maintained, you know? Right. So. How long were you married? We dated for four years and then we were married for five. So we started dating the day before 10th grade and we got married between (laughs) freshman and sophomore years in college. So we were idiots, but that's okay. Um, Y'all were young. (laughs) um, It was the week before I turned 19. Yeah. And uh, when I got married. Oh, wow. And then we, I know. And then we divorced. Yeah. We separated between our first year and second year in grad school but remained friends and friendly. And, you know, those first couple of years were hard, I think. But after that, she has been a really wonderful support and she knows that I, you know, will always love her in a different way than we originally intended.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Now, Did you come out to her? I mean, was the separation
1: because of you being gay. Was that the reason or? Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah was... They, I
1: mean, they even went to couples therapy to try and see what they could do. But at that point, I think Kendall was pretty darn sure he was gay.
2: He walked in and that therapist said, I can't help you. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, what are you paying me for? No, but
0: it just, um, <laughs> you know, it was, it was one of those things where I, of course, never could have said these words when I was a teenager to anybody but my dad, apparently. But, you know, I I would say things like, well, I think I'm bi, you know, at the very least. But then because I was a good Southern Baptist and surrounded by all these people in my hometown, I never, ever at that point in my life thought I would ever come out. And, you know, our rights were very different back then, too. I mean, yeah, I didn't see a positive future for myself coming out. I didn't think that would happen. And so I kind of embraced you know, what little, you know, heterosexuality I could find. And and I don't... So mean you to could be muster little, up? Exactly. I don't mean to belittle <laughs> that at all because, you know, I... I adore no, my I'm ex-wife. just being silly. Yeah. No, no, no. I am. I mean, I am too. But, you know, I, I loved my ex-wife as much as any teenager could love somebody else. And, um, of course, as a teenager, you couldn't tell me anything anyway. So I was going to do things my way. And, yeah, we were going against, even though her parents loved me and my stepmother loved her, they definitely didn't want us to get married, you know, at that crazy young age. Uh, But you couldn't tell us anything. You couldn't tell us. So,
2: yeah, well, and it was a Southern thing. I mean, so many people got married. I go back to my high school or I, I haven't been back since my 40th reunion, But I remember going to my 40th reunion and somebody said they had a great grandchild. And I was like, "I know, wow, I I don't even have, they got married like at, you know, 18, right out of high school, then their kid got married at six. And I understand because, you know, I always say my family was so trashy that when my brother was born, he had 11, let's see, no, he had nine living grandparents, nine. (laughs) <laughs> and my mother was 19 when my brother was born. My grandmother was 35 and my great-grandmother was 53. Wow. <laughs> and, then she, wow. and then her her parents were alive. So by the time I came around, there was two of them had gone. So I, but I had seven grandparents when I was born. They, yeah, they well, just all well, married well. so young back yeah. then. And it's amazing wow. because most of them, I mean, well, my some of my aunts, had lots of marriages, but my mother and dad, they stayed married till, you know, till my mom passed away. Uh, it was just a thing, you know, you don't divorce, you just do not Mm -hmm. divorce.
1: Well, you mentioned, um, grandparents, what kind of a granddad are you going to be? You know, I don't know. I, I would
2: be a good one because I love kids and, you know, I have some close, close friends in Dallas, Patrick and Kevin, and they have twins and we adore each other. I adore those twins. They adore me and I'm silly and I'm a child at heart my daughter who is married caroline i don't think she's that interested in having children and rebecca's not married yet and i think she is interested in having children but she's not married so i don't know we'll see we'll see if it happens but i wouldn't (laughs) mind having a grandkid you can have a fun
1: little play date and then give them back that's right that's that's how we feel about our nieces and nephews for sure yeah Yeah. all right see ya Yeah. It's been good. Yep. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> They're tired. Come get them. Tell you said something earlier that cracked me up inside. When you did the voices for your mother and Leslie Jordan, Leslie was way more feminine <laughs> than your <laughs> mother's voice. <wife. laughs> I can do a pretty good
2: Leslie imitation. You can. Yeah, because yes. I've done yeah, it yeah. so many times in my shows. He always called me my my real name, Delford. He was Delford. Have you seen, just fill in the blank, so and so on that commercial? My God, she's gotten big. Well, he, I miss him so much.
1: He definitely warmed a lot of spirits during the pandemic. He was one of the heroes of the pandemic, yeah. as far as I'm concerned with his social posts and stuff. And I think so many people discovered him. We had someone just a few episodes ago that I don't even know how it came up. Oh, she wanted Leslie to play her father in the movie. She's writing a book about her life and her father. After he came out of the closet, she said, oh, I would have loved Leslie to play my dad oh. in a movie. Yeah.
2: Um, her dad must've been very funny. <laughs> Yeah, because Leslie, like Leslie it. was yes. organically funny. He just, you know, I think that one of the reasons that so many people were affected by his death to the degree that they were is because they truly felt like they knew him. Yeah. He sort of reached through the screen on Instagram because it, he'd get so close, and you know, he had, he never got the framing right. <laughs> I I told one day I was telling Emerson, I said, I said Emerson, maybe we should go over and teach Leslie how to frame himself a little better and and let it goes no we don't want that that people love that because
1: he just was always like half a face you know (laughs) yes Uh oh when you think about him what memories pop into your head
2: Oh, there's a million. I mean, he, had, you know, this house, I've got two of his couches and his lamp and his pictures. There's a million Leslie Jordan stories. I'll tell you a, a one that this came to mind because he was the godfather of my oldest daughter, Rebecca. He claimed them both, but he really was. And by godfather, we didn't really ask for spiritual guidance we just wanted good gifts over the years so you know we thought oh leslie leslie will give them really good dolls (laughs) we had chosen because i was close to Patrika darbo at the time who did daddy's dying with me and created an olita and sorted lives and she was in my first play cheating and he called her p he go p they they chose us to be the godparents what are we going to do what are we supposed to do i think it involves like church and shit and uh <laughs> Patrika said well we're just gonna have to tell him i'm an atheist and you're a homosexual and we'll do the best we can <laughs> <And> <laughs> leslie leslie loved telling that story so you know so, so we did uh, the best we enough. could <laughs> So, but it you know his his death was very very hard on my children he, they, mm. he was such a good uh, Gunkel, as yeah. he said it, it was a lot. It was, whew, it was, uh, you know, I recently changed my estate, you know, mm-hmm. my trust because I never imagined my life without Leslie to the degree that I had left him in charge of my intellectual property and my trust. So, mm-hmm. uh, and he was older mm-hmm. than me, but not that much. He was only 22, 22 or 23 months older than me. Hmm was he always- he did and you know people always thought he was older but he would have been 60 he would have turned 68 april
1: the 29th well one of your great gifts is certainly finding the right person for the role for absolutely he played many a great part but you know brother boy that's
2: the other thing that was so difficult for me is you know that thought of never getting to write for him again was just I mean, I, there was so much to our relationship, but he always heard those mm-hmm. words, just like he heard that rhythm, just like I heard it when I wrote it yesterday. I had a meeting about directing a movie and I was saying, you know, I'm not that good of a director. I'm just really good at casting. That's why <laughs> I worked with Dale Dickey 19 times now. I've worked with mm-hmm. so many great actors and uh, it's, it is, it's just like, I have so many times asked for. Something saying, I want Rue McClanahan to be in my series and Loco has no money to pay you. And I, I right. would often get what I really didn't deserve, you know, and I I've been fortunate to work with amazing, amazing people.
1: Well, I think they were also fortunate to get to speak your words, too. I mean, it's and well, you know, thank you. just, you know. Name after name is coming to mind, but you know, Kendall, um, Beth Grant has a special I, place at his heart for I, sure.
0: I don't really get starstruck very easily, but I remember when I met her, I was just about was dumbfounded. I was just like, I'm supposed to be speaking now. I'm supposed to be you know, I'm supposed <laughs> to be saying she was so kind and so, you know, like, Oh, honey, you're fine. You
2: know, I was like, uh, No, I'm really not, yeah. but thank
0: you for telling me. Really yeah, sweet. Beth
2: is really down to earth. I feel like that what happened with that body of actors that came into my world in one way or the other, we just became this kind of crazy family. And, you know, some of my best friends, I, Ann Walker and Dale Dickey and the Alexanders, and I still, I mean, Emerson Collins, I see them weekly, all of them. Wow.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, mm. and the performances that you got out of Delta Burke, Olivia Newton John, Beau Bridges, mm. I mean, it just goes on and on.
2: I, I just got an email from Bo yesterday where I invited him to something. I have a foundation now, the Dell Shores Foundation. Check it out. org. And what we do is we facilitate the opportunity for writers, Southern writers, LGBTQ writers to create and enter a contest every year. And then there's a play winner. There's a screenplay writer winner and a short film winner. And the prize for the play is that we have all these theater partners and any theater that produces the world premiere, they get a grant of $10,000. The writer that won last year, Jigs Burgess, his play opens here in LA, the 12th of August, and I'm directing it and Emerson's starring in it. And it was just one of these things that kind of happened where the director fell out because he's going to divinity school. I was going, what are the odds of that? Oh my. And so- we're on strike. So I go, I'm available, <laughs> you know, and, uh, right. yeah. and it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a beautiful play. So back circling back to Bo, he has another play that's in the fringe festival right now called Wounded. And it is Craig Taggart's in it. It's so good. Mm. And I just, I just said it to, tomorrow night's the last night. And I just wrote everybody. I know you've got to see this play. It's only 55 minutes. And I right. was going, I can't, I'm out of town. Or oh, something. Wow. Truly the nicest man I've ever
1: worked with is bow Bridges. Oh, hmm. that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I will say that you've always been so wonderful to us. I met you just through interviewing you. I don't even remember what it was for, but then got to know you a little bit when you took Sorted Lives and Southern Baptist Sissies on tour across the country. And then hmm. we got to spend time with you in San Francisco during Pride Fest and Harvey's yeah, and yeah. yeah, you've just always been really, really great to us. And we appreciate that.
2: Oh, well, thank you. Well,
1: when I got the email, I go, oh, yes,
2: let's re- reacquaint. So I'm glad right, I'm, you're exactly, I'm yeah. doing well. And I'm glad you're yes. together oh, yeah. and
1: happy. You look very happy and good for you.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank we you. are. Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Thank you so much for listening to Family Twist. We feature original music by Cosmic Afterthoughts. And Family Twist is presented by Savoir Faire Marketing Communications. Check out our website at familytwistpodcast.com for blog posts and all of our episodes.